after we can pick it apart. And, um, because really last week and this week, really la- last week we talked about old, the old nature, the new nature, the creation struggling and warring within itself. We talked about what that should look like a little bit, why it should look like it does. Um, this Sunday here, this week, uh, it's really a continuation. And so part of that is just really looking at and Paul describing what is this new nature. Again, we're in the, 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 the book of Ephesians. We'll be finishing it out next week. Uh, I want you to remember, though, as we're like reading all this scriptures, because it's a lot. And here I'm going to go through a little bit of chapter four. I'm going to break into chapter five, a lot of chapter five, um, if not almost all. And try to remember that... Um, This originally was a letter, all right? It wasn't a small book that they uh, that was chaptered, and they bought it on Amazon, all right? Like how to live at Ephesus. It wasn't like that. Um, There was no chapters. When you write letters to somebody, uh, they might be long enough to be chapters, but um, it's not like that. We never like okay, chapter ten of why I'm writing to you. We don't we don't do that, right? There were no chapters originally in the Bible. There were no verses originally, like verse numbers originally in the text. Those things were created so we could study it better, actually, to make it easier for us to learn sections in context and keeping things in context of what he was saying. Also, uh, giving it verses numbers would allow us to memorize it and know like where exactly something was. And so that was kind of created for your benefit and on your behalf but later on down the line. But originally these were just letters. So when I read this, this is truly in the context of what he's trying to say, even though we've chaptered it one to the next one. So it's quite a bit. I'm going to read for quite a bit here. I'm going to tackle from uh, chapter 4, verse 20, all the way into 5, and we'll end at verse 20. So a lot of, a lot of scriptures here, but once we do that, then we can kind of move into what we're going to talk about and and it'll obviously become more uh, uh, apparent as to what we're what we're basically looking back at what we're reading so I'll, I'll just start because it's, it's fairly long Ephesians chapter 4 verse 20 but that isn't what you learned about Christ since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life which is corrupted by lust and deception instead let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes put on your new nature created to be like god truly righteous and holy so stop telling lies let us tell our neighbors the truth for we're all parts of the same body and don't sin by letting anger control you don't let the sun go down on you while you're still angry for anger gives a foothold to the devil if you are a thief quit stealing instead use your hands for good hard work and then Give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He is identified with you as His own, guaranteeing you that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander as well as all types of evil behavior imitate god therefore in everything you do because you are his dear children live a life filled with love following the example of christ he loved us he offered himself as a sacrifice for us it was a pleasing aroma to god let there be no sexual immorality impurity and greed among you such sins have no place among god's people i've seen excuse me i've seen stories and foolish talk and coarse jokes These are not for you. Instead, 
Let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey Him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good, right, and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in worthless deeds or evil of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It's shameful to even talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, O wake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most out of every opportunity in these evil, in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot there. A lot there. Right? But you see how like even though we broke into chapter 5 without like hesitation, right? It all fit. It's all talking about the same thing. So it's funny to me, like, I know they're trying really hard to keep it in context, but it's all the same stuff. It's all the same stuff. This is the old way you live. This is the new way. Live this way. Live this way. Quit doing these things. Live, live this way, right? And, and I can tell you, listen, as a pastor and as a preacher, we, we often preach more to the issues that we spiritually see. That's what we do, right? That being said, the church in Ephesus reveals something very practical about the process of salvation. We can tell you that by what Paul is having to address, that the church is struggling a lot like we're struggling today. All right? Paul just, that was a lot of scripture talking about the stuff that we talk about all the time. All right? So before we look at the church of Ephesus and see this great church that Paul built, all right, it had the same problems that every church that we see today has. It struggles with just living in Christ, period. I mean, it goes on for all these things, and we're going to talk about some of these things that it talked about, but at the end of the day, that's what it struggled with. It struggled just to live like a Christian. Like, it's hard just to live like Jesus, and we beat ourselves up, all these things that go on, right? But Paul, the same thing is happening, which should comfort us, by the way, that, listen, they weren't perfect then, we're not perfect now. Christ still came to save us. Christ can still, we still, we still walk towards Christ. We still desire, right? It's difficult, but we're called to put away this old. We're called to embrace, transform into the power of the new. And yet the struggle of our, the struggle and the difficulty of this thing upon our hearts is so stressful. It's demanding, it feels like at times. Um, if it were a matter of willpower, man, we change so quick. Like, I'm strong enough, I'll change this, I'll change this, I'll change this. You know, I've seen some people be able to change some things by willpower. The problem with that is they don't give glory to God. More often than not, the hardest things that we have to change, Christ alone changes those things, and that's why he gets the glory to those things. The things we change to willpower, we don't ascribe to God. But most, most of the things we're going to find in our life can't be conquered by just strength of will. Otherwise, we'd already, we'd already done it. It's always a matter of the, the work of the Holy Spirit working to conquer things in our life. So I'm not going to spend a, a great deal of beating up a, a, a lot of you in the, all the details of this stuff. I, I just want to grab onto a few, and we're going to talk about some of that. Some of the things maybe that we all struggled with when, once we got saved, the things that, like when we really started to pursue Christ, what are like those things that we probably struggle with? And, and so I picked apart some of the few that we see here in Scripture, 
And I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about those. Uh, how about we'll start here. Be what God designed and purposed you to be. Don't be fake. All right? He said that when he said, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all parts of the same body. What you lying to your neighbor about? About what you got, who you are, how you behave, what kind of clothes you dress when you walk outside, how you got it all together. I mean, like, the thing is, is we don't lie necessarily by our mouth, but you know we lie sometimes by our appearance. We can look a certain way and never ever be a certain way. You know, you can go to church every single day just for the sake of reputation and never know Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people in church this morning that are there so they can boast in how much they go to church. A whole bunch. And they're the self-righteous, man, right? They're, I mean, there's a lot of self-righteous. They'll, they'll do it. They get up. They're fake. It's a fake. It's a phony. It's a, it's a disguise. It's a, it's a lie. It's an identity issue. It's an identity issue, right? It, 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 it struggles right there. It, it, it's telling, enough, telling a liar is nothing more than verbal deceit when we tell a lie, but there's also other types, right? And it basically, at the end of the day, it just means that you're trying to sell me something that isn't true. And really good lies, right? We know what a good lie is, right? It's one that's like 1% false and 99% true. So that it feels like, well, I told them most of the truth. Yeah, that's a big, that's a lie still. <laughs> it's funny how we are. It's funny how we are, you know? We all have, like, I, I was listening to this, uh, I've kind of talked about it here before, a great documentary called Dishonesty. And it says, it talks about the level or the measure of dishonesty that we all have, right? Right? We're supposed to go 55 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour but we're going to do 75 because the cop doesn't stop me when it's only five. So I'm okay with breaking the law and being dishonest about being obedient to the governing. Yeah, some people are like, all right, I'm not tithing. <laughs> yeah, 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 but like that's, there's, there's a measure of dishonesty we're okay with. There's like a measure of lying we're okay with. Like it's funny to me, like, what we're like, well, it doesn't mean I'm going to hell. No, but it's still dishonest. Right? What are you seeking? What are you? Are you truly seeking out complete righteousness? I mean, so that when you hear truth, even if it's even if it's things that just are small things that you never realize, is there no conviction in you when you see these things or hear these things? Listen, Jesus loves you. I get that part. I get the part. Jesus' grace is big enough. I get those part. But what? Are you, it's not about what everybody else thinks and does. Is what does Jesus think and do? I mean, when it came to giving taxes, you paying all yours? That's a hard one for the church. I think the ch even the church just struggle with finagling their finances around so they don't have to pay you know, whatever they need to pay. It's a hard one, right? We, we, we give false impressions all the time. I mean, because what's the other side of this truth, especially in the church? Oh, it's so funny to me. You know, I always think of like, I always have to pre-think questions and answers a little bit. And let me tell you why, because we're going, and the first thing somebody wants to ask you when you're around pastors, the first thing they want to ask you is, how many people are going to your church? What the heck does that matter? Why don't you ask me how I'm doing first? Why don't you, I mean, like, why do I got to, like, answer that question? Then is there, is there something behind that question? Are you asking me to fill me out? Are you asking me to size me up? And then the question becomes on my heart, do I exaggerate? Because is he going to look at me if I'd have less? Is he, do you see what happens in our brains? Listen, I, oh, I'm the only one, right? You know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, so we come up, somebody asks us, well, how are you doing today? But you don't want to tell them, man, it was horrible, man. I, my kids are sick. My, we're like, okay, let me back on out of that situation. Cause I really wasn't asking cause I cared. I was just asking being nice, you know, um, which by the way should challenge us. Amen. Yeah. All right. What are our intentions when we tell people? You wonder why people are fake? Cause we created that moment where they can't be, they have to be. Because we don't really want to know how they feel and how they're doing. We just want them to say good and fine and everything's good. So I can be your, I call them a face value friend. So I can be your friend to your face. 
And that's the value of our friendship. You know, I don't really want to know because at the end of the day, I just care about me, myself, and I, right? It's all deception. It's all lie. Like, and I don't know why we like, we really like put on the show. We're good at it. And I like, the, I struggle because as somebody who likes, who's very relational, I struggle on that. I literally think about what am I going to say? How can I approach this in a way to be completely honest? You know, because they don't really care. They're, like some people I know, they're just sizing me up and I almost don't want to answer them at all. You know, I almost want to say, listen, you know, we're not friends. I love you. And, I, and I, I appreciate the kindness you're trying to show to me right now. But I understand also what's going on here. That's what I want to say. But then I thought, well, that's way too confrontational. Maybe that's unloving. <laughs> right? I think about this. This is the kind of stuff I think about. So when, when, I, when I cover this, you know, uh, God designed me a certain way. He purposed me a certain way. There's a reason why I'm confrontational. There's a reason why I'm aggressively confrontational. There's a reason why. But I also like... I'm like, you'll find that like, when we're friends, I'm super loyal. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going to be there. I'm, I, when I say, how's everything going, I want to know. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray about it and, and, and I, because I want that from others. But I also realize that that's not always the case. Why? Because we're always struggling with identity. This false, I love how uh, uh, in, the, in his book, uh, Abba's Child, um, Brennan calls him the imposter. He's the false self that I put on display for you to see. You've never known me. You've known him. Just like if I was to go back to the city where I live, they've never known Jim. They know Jimmy. They don't know me. They don't know me at all. They haven't seen what 20 years of living next to Jesus has done for me. They only know the first 20 years without Jesus. Different guy. Totally different guy. Right? And because of that, they would see this part as the lie. So it would be very hard for them outside of the power of the Holy Spirit to, for the conviction to see the change, for them to see that. They would think this part's the lie. You're just, you're just putting on a show so everybody thinks well of you. You're just putting on a show. Why, why do we think like that? Because people do. People do, right? We struggle with being an imposter. We struggle with being a hypocrite, right? But Jesus says we're all parts of the same body. Can the, can the hand lie to the arm about what it is? No, the arm knows where the hand's supposed to be and what it's supposed to do. You can't fool it, and neither can you fool each other when you lie. You can't. People know it. They know it. They just don't say it. You know it. That's why you laugh when I talk about it. You know it. You're thinking it in your head while you're listening to them. There is no love in a lie. It's only selfishness, right? Being a part of the body means that we're attached to something, attached to each other, and that means that every time I do something sinful, the consequences are passed down and felt by others as well. The consequences of sin rarely affect just you. Be mindful of that. So when I act a certain way, if I act falsely or I act like the imposter, I act like I'm whatever you need me to be and I'm whatever they need me to be and I'm whatever they need to be without ever showing who I actually am in that process, I have to know that there are consequences to that falseness. Whether it's relational you know, friendships, well, you don't have many friends. Why? Because I'm a liar to everybody. I'm who everybody needs me to be. I'm a chameleon and never me. So that you never really know me. And so I sit, like, this is how people sit in isolation and come to the place of like suicidal thoughts and tendency depression, right? You ever notice, there's no such thing as anybody says, well, I'm all alone. But we got like five friends around them. Well, why do you feel that way? Because you've been an imposter to them. They don't know the real you because you have never shown them the real you out of fear of them not liking you or not accepting you or whatever that is. 
And it's created this big mess, this whole idea. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all the parts of the same body. The next one, when our heart is transformed, so is our mouth. That should be like a no-duh, right? He says, I've seen stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. When we listen to such foolish talk, it should open our eyes to the condition of our hearts. Jokes that are told at the expense of our brothers and sisters in Christ are not godly. Jokes about sex or sexuality are doing nothing more than demoralizing that which God has sanctified. Man, I like a good joke more than anybody. Here lately, I've been like loving all the riddles. If people tell riddles to somebody and they can't figure out the riddle, and it's just funny listening to them. I heard a, that, like, this is a joke. If you're going to like be funny, these are things that are funny. This guy tells one, he's trying to tell his coworker. He says, I'm six years, he says, when I was six, my sister's half my age. Now I'm 70, how old's my sister? And the guy's like, 35. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> At six, half the age. Only three years younger. <laughs> so if I'm 70, she's 35, that makes no sense. But like, he keeps going over. Now that's funny. Listen to a guy go, she's... And then like, I heard another one talking about, like, a, that he was telling his girlfriend, all right, if you ordered a large pizza, would you want it in eight slices or 12 and why? Well, I'd want it in eight because I couldn't eat 12. <laughs> wait, and he goes, wait, no, no, no. <laughs> Why wouldn't you get, what's it matter if you get 12 slices? I can't eat the extra four slices. <laughs> but it's a large pizza. You're not, and then she's like, you're not hearing me. Whoa. Oh, it's great. Greatness. That's funny. Making jokes about sexuality, making jokes about culture, racism, things like that. I know we do a lot of things jestingly, but we shouldn't. When we get saved, our mouth is supposed to get saved too because our heart gets saved. And everything that comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. One thing's for sure, especially amongst preachers too. We say it all the time as preachers, man. If, you, if something's wrong with you, be careful because you take the pulpit. You talk all the time. It's going to come out. If something's not right, it's coming out of here. It's coming out. You better be ready. It shows up in bad doctrine. It shows up in bad theology. It shows up. It's going to come out. How you think, what you think, it's coming out your mouth. You might struggle in the beginning with your mouth and the way you used to talk, but there should be an active work of the Holy Spirit happening within you to the point that the way you used to talk begins to diminish. You know, I've been around guys that'll let it slip, and literally you can see the frustration. Oh. And they'll say to me, I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's, it's, we're good. And you know why we're good? I don't have to beat that up because I see the Holy Spirit at work. There's a, there's, a, there's a holiness working within him to say, conviction already happened. I don't have to hammer that. The Holy Spirit just did. I don't have to add to that. I don't have, like, you know how you used to get double punished? God's not like that. I know, like, a lot of you, like, you know, I don't know how, like, some of your parents, like, maybe how you did your kids, but for mine, the reason I didn't tell my parents anything from school, because I got busted twice. Like, like that made it better. I don't, I don't understand, like, that double punishment thing. Like, double jeopardy only exists in my household. You can be punished twice for the same crime at my house. And so, like, I used to never come back and never tell anything to my parents. They're like, you never tell us anything. Yeah, because uh, I get beat both times. I get beat at school. I get three licks there. I get three licks at home. I'm done. And my parents were way uh, stronger than the school. And so my dad was really good about that. He instilled the fear of God in me or at least the fear of him. And uh, he was very good at that. He had a gift. 
He had a, very, he had a gift. <laughs> but that's the thing. We want to see the Holy Spirit. We want to see a conviction. And when we see conviction, there's no reason to harp on anything. That's why I love walking with new believers, because with new believers, I see all the mistakes. And they keep waiting for somebody to pounce. And I love them in those moments just to, hey, man, it's good. We're good. I see the Holy Spirit at work. There's nothing for me to hammer on there. You know when I'll hammer? When I don't see that anymore. Wait a minute. You keep coming and you keep saying that you believe in Jesus, but I don't see any conviction in you about these things. That's when I have to step up into accountability and go, I need to correct here. I need to talk with you about this. This is something we need to talk about. Your mouth shows me the condition of your heart. And if your heart's not changing, I definitely will know from the mouth. You're going to talk. It'll be different. Let's move on. Be content with all that God has given you. After all, he supplies your needs. Right? Paul says, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. And then give generously to others in need. So you work, so, so whatever you're taking, quit taking, start to work for it. I love it. And then he says, the thing, the, 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 that which you make from working, be generous with what you have. Be gen- work hard and be generous. I, I love the idea. Two words come to mind when I think about the act of stealing. Usually when it comes, when I see people struggling with stealing or anything like that, I never really stole much in my life. I, I have stole before, but not least like, it was never like a thing to me. I don't know if I just... I don't know, I, but it just wasn't a thing for me. Um, but these, these two ideas, envy and coveting, are usually like the symptoms of somebody who struggles with, with stealing. Stealing comes from a desire to want more than you're given or than you have earned or worked for. We steal what becomes the object of our desire. So what are you looking at? Who are you looking at? Whether on the TV or in movies or in music, we all fall prey to what we see. We envy their lifestyles. We envy the stuff. We envy everything until it becomes to a point that we're covetous, right? I've told this story a lot when it comes to leadership, and it's so true, uh, uh, but it's a, it's a wonderful business story, totally leadership for business type things, but it, it talked about a, like a place like in Panama where they were working with workers and the wages were so poor there. These people would like literally live on hardly anything for six months at a time. They'd work barely just to make another, and then they live for a long period of time on whatever they had. This factory wants to come in because they see the opportunity for cheap labor. They put the factory in there. They're going to pay these guys a crazy amount of money for what they're used to making, right? So these guys would make the money. They would make in one month what they would make in six, right? And it was going to be, man, they're going to flock. We're going to get workers like crazy. You know what happened is they worked for one month And then they quit for five. True. They quit for five. And then they went back and they lived on that month's worth of money for five months and just like didn't back to their regular lives. And these guys like that totally doesn't work for us. We're here to make money. How do we get these guys to stay working? How do we keep doing this? And this is a, a, a total, you need to hear this story and be able to repeat this because this is a good lesson when it comes to materialism. You know what they did? This was a long time ago when it happened, back when Sears was a big deal. And what they did is they came in and brought a Sears Roebuck catalog and they handed each one, each uh, employee, a Sears and Roebuck catalog. Can I tell you, they didn't even know what they didn't have till they saw it. And all of a sudden they had things to work for. Things that they didn't even need, all of a sudden they needed. What we see, if we look at it too long, we'll covet it. We'll think we need it. We'll think, oh, man, how am I going to do it? Man, I, I literally, I, 
I struggle with it. I mean, I've seen people, there's a couple up north that I, I struggle with. I know them personally, and their kids are in need of some medical care. And yet, every time I see them, man, they got the latest, they got iPhone watches, I, the brand new iPhone, they're wearing the best shoes and clothes and everything else. And, and I'm like, man, you got kids, your kids have needs and stuff. Your kids need more than just the clothes on their back. They have some, like, they need some braces. They need some other things going on. I mean, like, they lost in it. They can't save a dime because they got to have a brand new car and they got to have the brand new stuff. Well, man, the other side of that thing is turn on the TV. If you look at it for any length of time, it's trying to sell you everything under the sun, what you need. And you don't even need it, but they're telling you, you need to have the newest. I'm going to come out with a brand new truck every year because the truck I sold you last year is worthless. That's about how it makes you feel. We have the latest technology on this one. Well, the, what does that mean about my truck last year when you told me that, you bunch of liars? Well, that was last year. So mine's now the outdated model immediately. Like as soon as I drove it off, it was the outdated model, right? I mean, it, there's something to the society today that's creating the, us to be coveting. We, we, we glamorize Hollywood. That's why we have all these shows about Hollywood gossip and all this thing. Why? Because we glamorize their life. It, it becomes the very thing we want to achieve. And that's why they become great marketing people, right? We want to put all these clothes on the Hollywood stars. Why? Because it becomes the thing. Everybody's looking at them anyway, so we, it becomes the great marketing tool, right? We get to the point where we begin to covet so much, it begins to, think, it begins to, to be the thing we hunger and thirst for. And we end up doing anything we can to have it, even still, if that's what it means. And coveting is not limited to just like materialistic things. I mean, that's like the easiest thing to like nail down is like materialism because it's America and uh, there's a deep sickness of materialism that runs throughout the the core of America. Um, But uh, if you you search the scriptures, Exodus 20, 17, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. Male or female servant, ox, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And apparently, if you look at someone's spouse, is what it's saying long enough, you're going to want them too. Uh, by the way, divorce rate being what it is, I think this is pretty true. Uh, we were watching The Voice a little bit last night, and as we're, I was like, you know, uh, Gwen Stefani, and what's the cowboy? Blake Shelton. I was like, they're such a cute couple. Too bad it had to come through two divorces. We covet what we see. They coveted some other girl that created the divorce problems that they got. Man, we're, we're supposed to, this brings to the next point, we're supposed to strive towards purity, sexually or otherwise. Paul said, let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed amongst you. Such sins have no place amongst God's people. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, man, that is the biggest sin in the church right now. One of the things I struggled with last year and went to camp is we had, I, I, I know that people that were on the stage who are struggling in, the, in the, their college age kids on the stage, and I know it for a fact, it's not rumor for me to say this, I know for a fact they were struggling with homosexuality. I know for a fact. And I was thinking, why did we put them on stage? We're struggling. It's in the church everywhere, and we're struggling with it. We don't know how to deal with it. We don't know how to correct it. We feel like we're being too mean if we correct it, being too mean if we say anything to it. We're we're so cast out by society as being so harsh towards sexual immorality that we don't know how to behave about it. We're so scared. Listen, man, by the way, I don't know if you realize this, we're going to be persecuted. Like somehow we're trying to escape the acts to persecution. Like I don't go back and look at all the apostles. We love them. 
but they died for what they believed in. They were hated and hunted and killed. What do you think you're going to escape? Literally, what do you think? You know, the old preachers used to say to us, man, if you walked every day around and everybody liked you and your day's just fine, you're probably not saved. They used to say that. Who is it, Wesley, that you complained one day, got down on his knees? It's old. I don't think this is true, but it's a funny story to tell. But they, uh, they tell it, and I think they tell it because it was his character. It was his character to uh, be upset if nobody said a mean or ugly word about him because of his evangelism. So there's an old story that tells, and I don't know if it's true, but it's always great to tell it, where he gets upset one day as he's riding down the road and is upset about uh, the fact that no one is... No one has uh, uh, been up, you know, has, has persecuted me today, God, for the things that I've evangelized and told people. And it says, as soon as somebody came by, they saw it was and threw a brick at him, and he praised the Lord. You know, I mean, like there should be there should be some knowledge to us that hey, the things that we're saying and being set apart comes with a price. And if you're not prepared to pay it, by the way, Jesus tried to, to, to warn people in the Gospels. You need to go back and read it, where he says, hey, count the cost. Does a builder get invested into construction without knowing exactly what everything is going to cost? Do not jump into Christianity if you don't think you can handle what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your reputation. It's going to cost you and how the people view you in the public. It's going to cost you physically, financially. It's going to cost you. And if you think you're going to escape that in some way by being whatever the world needs you to be because it's too hard to be anything else, then you're missing the point with Christianity and you better check yourself before the Lord. We're going to have to take a stance eventually, man. That's just how it is. Man, the, the, and I know a lot of this seems obvious, but if, if, you, if you come to church on any kind of constant basis or any kind of regularity, our, always our goal is this becoming pure, this idea of becoming like Christ. Well, and it's a thing that we desire both physically and spiritually. So I'm going to talk about the physical side of this. The Bible's very clear about sex before, uh, before marriage. It's sin. It's obvious. Like the, the divorce rate is the same in the church as it is in the world. It might be a little less, but it's not much less. And that should tell you that no matter how much we can teach on love, it's never enough. When we come to the Corinthians part on, in, on our Wednesday uh, Bible studies, when, I hit, when we hit chapter 13, we're going to slow it down. I mean, one of, the, one of the things that I, like, when I start looking at the way Bob, the Bible describes love, every view of our love is so shallow. It's so shallow to compare to what the Bible, when it describes love. Uh, it, it makes me think we probably shouldn't say it. <laughs> because our definition of when we say, I love, I love you, or anything like that, it's so shallow. I mean, we can say, I love you to a friend. But, like, I don't want you to call me, like, I don't love you, call me at 1 o'clock in the morning, friend. Like, dude, you better text. I'm going to leave that junk on silent. I ain't coming to get you. I mean, that's how much I love you when I said I love you. Right? And then there's that I love you to our spouse where at 1 o'clock they call. I'm totally getting up and I'm going to help. If it's my kid, I'm totally getting up and I'm helping and I'm coming. Right? There's different types of love, but it's all one word. Right? It's horrible, our definition there. Hebrews 13.4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexual immoral and adulterous. I don't have to like, I think that stands on its own, like in how people try to get around any of that. Listen, God, does God forgive? Can God go through divorce? Can God, yeah, absolutely. Do we mess it all up? Absolutely. Go back and read all the days of Moses. Remember when they said, hey, Moses gave divorce? And Jesus goes, yeah, yeah, he did because all of you were getting divorces. All of you came to him petitioning divorces. Of course he did, right? You know, the great thing about that is then Jesus comes, right? That grace still abounds. So listen, 
God knows we're going to mess it up. Make no mistake about that. God knows we're going to mess it up. We aim towards what is righteous. We're going to make mistakes along the way. The important part is that we repent and we return back to the Lord. Right? So we can move forward in the Holy Spirit. But these things are very clear. Romans also, the Bible is very clear about homosexuality being sin. Romans 1, 26 and 28. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural, rela- natural relations for those that are contrary to their nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 1 Corinthians 9 through, uh, 6, 9-11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the, sexual, the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor, nor drunkards, nor uh, revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. He talks about a turning there. You were once these things, but you've turned that now. You're back to the, what your nature, what, you're, what you were created to be, what you were intended to be, the very first Adam, pure and righteous and undefiled in Christ. And maybe just because we've never sinned, maybe in some of these areas, uh, 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 if, if we've sinned in some, of the, in, some, in some of these areas, doesn't mean we're always stuck in those places, man. For those that are homosexual, doesn't mean they're always homosexuals. For those that have experienced divorce, doesn't mean they, they haven't achieved, they can't move towards the righteousness of Christ. We always can repent. We can be forgiven. We can walk in Christ and we can live the redeemed life. There's forgiveness found in the church. <clears throat> a great leadership lesson, if you're going to write a note, this, this is a good one for you. And I say this a lot. You're going to hear me say it a lot. Your past does not dictate your future. Your past does not dictate your future. I don't care what mistakes you've made. I care where you're going right now. Your past does not dictate who you are. It does not create your identity either. Your identity is found in Jesus. I don't care what you were. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how you've acted or how you behave. What I care is, did you repent? And are you walking in the righteousness now that God has called you to? Right? The act of repentance and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life offer you a future that's untold. You have no idea where it leads. (coughs) To those in Christ, your future is yours, right? Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. You are now free from the bondage of your past. And you can make good choices now. Christian, godly, Christ choices. Physical purity, now spiritual purity. Matthew 5, 28. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with, with her in his heart. Jesus is, he's such a, he just a punch in the gut. I mean, he really is. He just backs everything up. You know, we go through the Old Testament, and even Paul, as he's saying these things, when Paul's saying these things, these are actions that are physically taking place in the church. I mean, I, I love the uh, church of Ephesus here, we, or in the Corinthian, where we got all those scriptures from, because like, he's acknowledging that homosexuals are in the church. By the way, if y'all didn't get that, the homosexuals are in the church. That's why he's saying, this ain't, supposed to, this ain't right. <laughs> I, I love Paul. There's sexual immorality happening in the church. Homosexuals are in the church believing in Jesus, but still living in a certain way, so he's addressing it. 
It's got to be addressed. But it's not that they're not welcomed. We could take a note from the Bible there, guys, of where we're at today. Homosexuals are there then, they're here now. Guys, I mean, it's nothing new under the sun. We should deal with it the same way we dealt with Paul, how Paul deals with it. It's pretty easy. You are welcomed here, but God asks you to repent and to return to your true nature. You're not born homosexual. You're not born that way. You're not born into that. If you're a man, you're a man. If you're a woman, you're a woman. You're the nature that God's created you. Jesus backs everything up. He puts a hold on the physical and draws you back to your hearts and thoughts. How's your heart doing? Are you thinking about doing bad things? Because if you're thinking about it, you might as well have done it. You've like already planned it out. You've already done it. He, he reveals to us that our hearts are the real culprits. They're the real culprits of our physical impurity issues. Our hearts are to blame. The fact that our hearts are lost in sin and that we're struggling to live in the light are the cause of our outward issues. I mean, no matter what, if you're on the outside acting or behaving a certain way, it's because in here there's some things that are not right. There are things that are not right. Man, that's so common. It's so common. You know, I've always said, you know, our heart is like a spoiled child. What's wrong with it is that you give it everything it needs. You need to tell yourself no once in a while. That'd be the biggest help of your life is learning how to tell yourself no. Well, I really want this. Shut up. Listen to me. You submit to Christ right now. Like literally, some of us need to just like look in the mirror and tell ourselves to submit to Jesus. Like maybe that's the morning thing we get up and do. Just look at yourself in the mirror. Like today, I submit you to Jesus Christ. He is the authority that you will listen to today. He is the he is the authority by which you will ask all things. He is the authority by which you will conduct yourself in a manner that represents. Maybe we need to speak that into our lives. Maybe that will help us with this. Don't let your anger control you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, when, when the struggle comes of the, the old and the new, you're going to find yourself angry. You're going to find yourself angry. And the farther away you draw away from the Holy Spirit, the angrier you're going to be. Don't believe me? Go read the book of uh, 1 Samuel and look at Saul. The, when the Holy Spirit left Saul, he became an angry, bitter man. Came angry. Paul said, and don't sin by letting your anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. <clears throat> Too many people live in constantly a state of anger. Man, they're angry all the time. I get told that sometimes. I think I'm just passionate. It's as if they feel they either deserve everything, know everything, or should be able to do everything. The bottom line is that we're, when we're denied our, uh, our, the things that we want, when, we're, when we have to tell our heart no, when we have to say no, like these are things that can upset us. We're going to have to deal with anger. Make no mistake, when you don't get what you want, you're not really that happy. That's just obvious, right, guys? And when you're not happy, pretty good chance that you're angry. <laughs> You're angry because you're not happy. You're angry because this didn't go your way. You really needed this. God, why couldn't I? And you're angry about that. You get bitter at God. Now I'm not going to pray because I'm angry at God. I don't want to talk to God. I'm this or I'm that. I mean, like you just, it's easy to get angry. Easy. Maybe we understand this from a different perspective. Maybe you're angry at someone, right? Maybe you feel it's even justified, but you don't get to hold on to that because it'll kill you. Oh, come on, man. Everybody's got somebody's made them angry. I mean, I, I, I got a list. I thought at one time it was probably not right to have a, there was a book that somebody showed me one time, and in the front of the book, 
It's the stuff that I could only say in, in, by having my own church, okay? Um, there was a book, and literally what it said on the front of the book, somebody said, hey, I'm going to get this for you. I think it was Taylor Tackett. And it says, people I want to punch in the face. And I thought, oh, yeah, give me that book. I, man, I could fill it up with some names, right? And, and, but then I thought, man, somebody's going to come in my office, and they're going to see their name on there. <laughs> I told them I don't want the book. That'd be, that wouldn't be right for me. That ain't going to be right. I got to deal with that. I should never have people I want to punch in the face, even though I do. I'm just being honest. I'm not fully there yet either, guys, because it's hard. You get hurt. You can get angry quick. Somebody hurts you. They hurt your family. They say something that's derogatory. They say something that hurts the people that you love, right? Make no mistake. Uh, let somebody come against any one of you. I mean, at this point, man, I, you, you guys are my family. Let somebody come at you. You want to see, you want to see who, what I am? Uh, I promise you. Let somebody come at you and let me find about it. Then all of a sudden we're gonna like we're gonna have to wonder or worry if you're gonna have to be praying for me, like I, I need him to like not go to jail, I need him to not you know I mean I'm just being honest guys I want to protect you like I protect my own kids, I mean that there's such a loyalty there and there's such a love there for you that it makes me want to like no nobody gets to hurt them nobody does and it just it just creates that it's the same way with our kids let somebody come against your kid let's see if you get angry, let somebody talk bad about your wife let's see if you get angry. Yeah, it ends real quick, doesn't it? I mean, it ends real quick. Um, you, the thing about that, we've got to deal with that when somebody hurts us, right? You've got to exercise some godly wisdom here and talk to people. Everybody deserves the opportunity to, to deal with your issue, whatever that may be, and however you need to deal with it. And, and how to do that is so hard. You have to be so tactful. But at some point, you're going to have to let someone know that, that they've hurt you and approach them in a way that it's all in love. And it needs to be for you more than it needs to be for them. Like, I need, listen, if you go up there and like, I'm doing this so, you can, so that you can repent. Like, uh, yeah, no, that's not how it's going to work. Yeah, it's not going to work that way. It needs to be more like, I'm doing this for me. Like, you said some things that hurt me, but I forgive you. I'm not asking for an apology. I'm forgiving you anyway. And you don't do that for them. You do that for you. Because that leads to the next one. Because if you don't control your anger, it's going to lead to bitterness. Paul said, get rid of all bitterness. And then I love the words that he taps onto this, because this is, this is the root. Okay? Get rid of all bitterness. There's the root. Now here it comes. And then rage. Heart anger. Harsh words. Slander. As well as all types of evil behavior. But from the root, it starts as bitterness is the seed. And then all these things start coming from that. Man, a little bit of bitterness in you, man, you don't just not like them. You hate them, and you make sure everybody knows you hate them. And you want everybody to know how awful and evil and bad they are. And you'll slander them, and you'll say things you'll regret. And is that the conduct of a Christian? Paul says no. That is not how we live. That's how everybody else lives. We are not them. We are a people set apart, peculiar into our own right. We don't do things the way the world does things. We love and we forgive and we repent and we return, right? I nail it all down there because if you've ever been bitter, you ever experienced bitterness, then you should know how you can be. People that are ensnared by bitterness struggle with rage and anger and all these things. They're prone to say things they don't mean and all sorts of things. The sad thing is that you're only hurting yourself. The power of the gospel lies in forgiveness. The power of the gospel lies in forgiveness and rarely do we pursue that. That's usually not like, you know what, I'm just going to forgive them. That's not our first thing that we say. The first thing we say is whatever it takes to make our little heart happy for the moment 
so we feel justice, right? If we just forgave the person who hurt us, we could live so much uh, 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 more happier. We could keep thinking what... Uh, we, but we would keep thinking what is going to make us happy is justice, and that's the problem. We think if we just have justice, Lord, you see how they treat me? They did me wrong. And they, look, bitterness usually comes from that. It usually does come from something somebody did to you and not the other way around. And so it's like this. You got the knife stuck in your back. That's not your fault. It's in your back. They took a cheap shot at you. But you know what? You could easily grab it and pull it out. But you're like, nah, uh I'm going to live with that joker in there. That way, every time I see that joker, I'm going to feel that thing. I'm just going to like mess with it, tingle with it every once in a while. Make sure I'm angry. Stay angry. Pain makes people angry, by the way. Hurting people hurt people. Bitter people hurt people. That's what they do. All right? We think we get so hung up. Lord, why don't you bring justice? I'm just going to pray every day. Listen, this is what we do. Well, I'm, and then like you'll tell the pastor, well, I'm praying. I'm praying for them. No, you ain't. You're praying about them. Two different things. You pray. Most of the people we're bitter at, we pray about. Like, Lord, you need to help them, Lord, because you said the wicked youth will not stand. And you, like, you start praying like all the like violent prayers, right? I mean, like that's what starts to happen. Like, well, David prayed off all his enemies. I'm praying them off the earth. Well, that's not godly, though. Jesus changed all that. Jesus said, you got to love me and you got to love my people, the ones I created. And I want them all to come in. He sends all out to come to the banquet now. It ain't Jews only anymore. Jews and Gentiles and everybody. So everybody now has been asked to the wedding banquet, which means who are you to not invite them to the, to the party? Who are you? And God gets mad, by the way, when he tells you to do one thing and you do another. He does. We think justice is going to help, but that's not true. If, if, if that were true, there'd be no Christians because it wasn't justice that put Christ to the cross. It was our sin. And if anyone has a right to be bitter, it's God. He was innocent. And yet he bore the cost of all of our sin. He was given the death I deserved, not the one he deserved. And if anybody could not work in forgiveness, if anybody could be bitter and angry and say like he does to Job, where were you when I created the heavens and there? I love when Job tries to like throw that at him, like a bitter spirit because I've been hurting. God, I've been sick for three years. Where have you been? You know what? Where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? When you were that speck of dust and I rose you up to be formed in your mother's womb and I knew how many hairs you had and I knew the skin that I was going to put on you. I knew at this moment right now you were going to complain to me even. Where were you when I created the war horse who you know, snorts into battle and as he grows? Where were you when I created the ostrich? That thing looks weird. Go look at the scriptures. He talks about it. It's funny. He like starts labeling out all these things. Where were you when I created the races of men? Where were you when I did all these things? Who are you to talk to me in that way? And, and he's not doing it like he's trying to say it lovingly. Like, man, don't you realize this thing is bigger than you? You're talking to me like I'm small. You're talking to me like I don't somehow going to understand what you're going through. Oh, I don't understand uh, uh, telling you something and you not listening. Oh, I don't understand that. I talk to people all the time that don't listen. And you're going to complain to me because three years you feel like your prayers haven't been heard. I don't know about you, but I've, I've been walking with the people who don't listen to me every day. Who are you? God has every right to be bitter. But the truth is, and this is where I said this one worked great into Easter, is that the image of Christ on the cross is this constant reminder of the power of grace and forgiveness to the saving of many. Jesus doesn't live in bitterness. He doesn't allow bitterness to destroy him. Not once on the cross is there bitterness. 
He walked straight to it in complete forgiveness and the power of grace. The image of the cross provides us with a spiritual insight into the redemption process of the heart. All these things, man, can be dealt with at the cross. All these things we've talked about, all these things we struggle with, the reason we struggle with them is that we are missing the cross in our life. That's why. There needs to be that. It all goes back to Jesus. I mean, that's a cliche, but it's the truth. What he did on Calvary, man, to deal with our hearts. Our hearts need to be crucified. That old self in you has got to die. And it's a daily thing. The more, you know, it's funny to me, the old flesh, it's like literally torture, I think. We're going to hammer that joker with a ball ping hammer until he dies. And every day we just hammer him like once. <clears throat> big toe. And it's broken and smashed down and he ain't never going to walk on that big toe again. Now that old man's just going to limp a little bit. Every day we're like smacking him one day at a time until our hope is that we'll hit him enough times he'll just die. Right? I mean, I really think it's almost like that. It's like so torturous. But then again, by the way, I don't think it was so easy for just Jesus to go walk up to the cross either. He didn't just die instantly. They beat that guy. They stabbed him. They nailed him. I mean, it wasn't instantly either. Do you think any of this is going to be instant? The death of the old flesh is going to be just instant? No, it's not. It's, it literally is like one hammer at a time you get rid of him. So when you see this about your man, you're struggling with your appearance, you're struggling with a, a false identity, so you hammer that. You know, the irony is it's like it, it depends on what, how it looks in real life, like in real time, how this looks like is this. I don't know what God is showing you individually, a certain thing. It's never all of these things. It's usually one individual thing, like, like when it was drugs and alcohol, I mean, that's like the most obvious thing that needs to go. So like e immediately God worked on one thing. The drugs were the first ones to go. Alcohol was the second one. And, and then it became like, now I need your mouth. Okay, okay. so we're going to crucify that one. So I busted all that old man's teeth out. Cut his tongue off where he can't say those things no more. Right? And then, then it becomes the next thing. I need you to start living this way. I need you to live like above the board integrity. I need you to do this. Okay? And I'm still beating the man on that one. But then like it came like tithing. I need you to start giving. You need to start tithing. And you need to start showing me that you could be. Tithing is not so I could help the church, by the way. God said, God wanted me to tithe so I could learn how to trust him with my finances. If I could trust him with my finances, then I could trust him with my family. Right? Because right now when I'm paying everything out of my own pocket, I'm paying for everything. I'm doing everything. But when I'm, when I'm uh, trusting him with my finances, I'm like, man, I could really use that extra uh, but I'm just going to trust you, God. All of a sudden, I have to, my faith has grown. And God starts to build my faith up, right? But I've got to kill that old man, too, that doesn't want to trust God, that wants to be self-sufficient, that wants to be self-righteous. Right? And it's like one thing at a time, God begins to take, all right, Jim, it's time we take this from you. I'm going to pull this, and we're going to pull on this string right now. Well, God, that's not comfortable. I know it's not comfortable. We need to kill that side of you. That's the point. It's not comfortable anymore because I know that you'll never change until I make it uncomfortable. And so all of a sudden, the things that didn't bother me before, now they bother me. So it's, and the funny thing is now it's the little things. Like, you know, when it's the obvious outward appearance stuff, you know, that's the easiest things that you come along and you go, 
man, I can totally tell. You can just see in their life. That, and you think, like, that's it. They're done. Like, they're, no, man. Like, I, uh, we were talking about this, me and Michael were talking about this morning. The more I search into Christ, the more frustrated I become. Because the more I've, like, read the Bible, the more I study the Bible, the more I know the scriptures and everything, and the more I learn. Like, I get to where I can preach real easy. I get where I can do all these things real easy. And the thing is, is I keep mining the Bible. But you know what? At some point... I've gotten where I'm not so much interested in the treasures of the Bible as much as I am, where's the end? Like at the end, I just want to see Jesus. Like at the end, like I don't care about all the stuff anymore. I just want Jesus. I don't, I don't care about all the little cool things I can find and plug into my life and make me better. I just want Jesus. <laughs> like this scripture is good. It's changing my life. It's, it's transforming me. But at the end of the day, I'm, I want to see what the bottom of the, of the treasure looks like. There has to be an end to this, this treasure. Where's the end? Right? And it'll happen when I see him face to face. When I, when I see the fullness of God in his glory. But, but what, you know what the treasure searching and mining the treasure has done for me? I hunger now for a greater glory than that which he can give me just in his word. Like, I, it's wonderful. I hear all the people, I want, I'm going to stand on the promises God do. I'm standing on Jesus Christ. I, I don't need anything. I mean, like, that's all I need. Whether I have financial uh, security, whether I have physical uh, uh, my, my physical health is good or not. I don't even care about those things anymore. All I want is him. That's all, I, that's all I've grown. That, if the scriptures have done anything for me, it's made me want to throw everything aside and just hunger for him and him alone. That's it. Because it's the only thing that has shown me pull, being able to pull on the strings out of me. Now, don't get me wrong. God uses the scriptures to do that. He uses the scriptures to pull these things. Like all of a sudden I see a scripture that I've read 78 times. But now it says something to me that pulls on a string that hurts. Because now this is the string God wants to pull on. And he wants to clip and take off and go, we got to work on this now. This side of you that you're doing so good, Jim, and, you're, and I'm being honest here. You're doing so good in your strength and your own will to, to control your anger. But I need this to be a second nature for you. I need this to be your whole heart, to be sensitive to the, to the well-being of others in your, in your tongue and in your action. I, I, need, I need for you to not be so dogmatic and, I need, and passionate, and I need you to be soft and tender at times. You know? And God's saying, okay. You know, you can, I see you forcing it and willing it yourself, but I need you to let me have it. And the funny thing about God is God will never take it. Like, I'll be like, and believe me, my prayers sound probably like yours. Just take it. Take it from me, God. And God's like, I don't work that way. I want you to give it. And I'm like, nuh-uh, man, get a knife. I, here's mine. Just cut it out, you know? And he's like, no. I want, here's the knife back. You cut it out. And then give it to me. You know, the irony about I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. We can have them come back. Uh, the irony about slavery and freedom. People are like, well, you got free will now. Who's the sunset free is free. God has given you this free idea to make decisions for yourself. Paul constantly called himself a bondservant to Christ. You know the irony of the Christian walk is that God has freed you. Jesus has freed you and then turns around and asks you to come back and do everything I say now. But you don't have to. I want you to do it willingly. Because it won't be as my slave, it'll be as my friend. I want you to be loyal to me, as, as like Paul would say, as a bondservant, as somebody who's like a slave, does whatever they're told, almost without question. Good thing about Jesus, you don't have to do it without question. 
he's free to, he gives tons of answers. He's better than any pastor I've ever seen in my life. Truly. I mean, I've said this before, you guys know it. If there's a reason why God didn't tell Jesus everything, because Jesus would have told us everything. He did, man. There's, think about this. You go back and look in the scriptures. He never hid anything from his friends. He told them stuff that they were like. Remember in the book of Acts where it says that they, it, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit said they got it? Like it just, oh yeah, that's what he, when he said that, that's what he meant. That's what he meant. He totally told us stuff we didn't understand at all and had no clue about. Yeah, praise God. They're, they're, Jesus loves his friends and tells his friends everything. But the, make no mistake about it. Jesus is calling you back for it all. He says, I want all of you, but I am not going to take it. I want all of you, but I'm not going to take it. So, Jim, no, your responsibility is to cut that out. And then I want it. I want you to give it to me. I'm not going to cut that out. You are. And I'm going to help you. So you, you grab it. I'm going to put my hand around yours. And we're going to do this together. And little by little, we're going to pull these little things out that are, that are not me. Right? And I'm going to fill the gap there where it's missing. So as we take out and we create a hole, right? Because you were putting stuff in that hole that shouldn't have been in there in the first place. I'm going to put stuff back. I'm going to put myself into that hole. And I'm going to put more of me into you every time. And so the more you keep searching, this is the whole idea of Paul, the new creation, the new life, this new, new idea, this new pressure, this new push. The whole idea is as we pull more of ourselves out, like as I, uh, if I struggled with sexual morality, as I pull that and repent and turn it, it leaves a big hole in my heart because I found my, my, my own identity somehow in that, then God has to fill that part up, right? And that as I struggle with anger and bitterness, I pull those things out of me and I ask for forgiveness. Well, it leaves this gaping hole now and I feel tender and it hurts and everything. Well, God says, no, I'm going to fill it up. I'm going to put the, 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 the solution that's going to heal it. I'm going to put myself on there and I'm going to heal that and that's going to be filled up with me. And every day there's this more and more that I'm pulling out of my heart. Every, the older I get, it has not changed. The work of God has not changed in my life from the day of salvation till now. The only difference is, is what I struggle with then is not what I struggle with now, but I've always struggled with something because God is working on me to finish me till I'm done. And when will that be? Whenever he says. Whenever he says. Little by little, these things are coming out until I, the old creation is no longer there and all that's left is the new. All that's left is the new. So if you want forgiveness, you give forgiveness. If you want love, you give love. If you want peace, you give peace. Paul finishes with these words, and so will we today. Give generously to others in need. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks to everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, man, you've, you've learned these things. You, you were struggling with these things. You're, you're learning how to fill that hole up there. So now give some of that out. Give some of that wisdom that you've learned. Give some of the wisdom that you have to other people. Don't hold it all in for yourself. Tell people about what God's done. Tell, let, let them be able to see it, not just in your actions, but be honest. Be loving, be caring, be forgiving. Don't let bitterness, don't let anger and all these things take us. We're to give, to be generous. It's all about loving God and loving others. Let's stand as we get ready for worship.